2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KYW Original Podcasts. Ray Didinger, I was watching NBC
0: Sports Philadelphia yesterday after the Eagles lost to Washington 27 to 17. And the first words, or one of the first words that came out of your mouth, uh, you called the game a, the loss a colossal failure, uh, which is, which is, which sums it up perfectly. So what made you come to the conclusion? <laughs> what made you come to the conclusion that yesterday's loss was a colossal failure?
1: Oh, pretty much everything. (laughs) You know, where do you begin? Um, You know, I've seen uh, a lot of Eagles openers, and I've seen a lot of Eagles um, openers that went badly. But I've never seen an Eagles opener that went quite this way. Uh, I've seen them lose them many times over my 50 years of covering the team. Uh, But what made this one different uh, and and scary is the way it happened, which was it's a game that you were in complete control of for the better part of a half. Uh, and you're up 17-0, and there's not even any hint of competitiveness from the Washington team. And it looks it looks for all the world like every game you can remember, Eagles-Washington down in Washington, where the Eagles just go down there and just roll them. Uh, and then all of a sudden, man, I mean, it swung around, and for the whole second half, you were never in the game. And um, that's that's the scary part, because it's you, you look at a game like that, and you, and you can look at it two ways. I mean, is it Is it a complete aberration? I mean, is it just one of those things that just happens and people just say, well, there's no logical explanation for any of this. We know we're a better team than that. And we'll come back from this and we'll be okay. Or we'll learn our lesson. Or is it the indication that this is a more troubled team than anyone realized and you probably just lost lost a game to the most winnable team on your schedule? And if that's the case, then you're looking at a truly frightening 2020.
0: Well, there's no question that that offensive line was compromised from the jump. Jack Driscoll and, and Nate Herbig did really all they could, and then Milota did really Jordan Mailata did really all he could once he came in. That O-line was definitely not what Carson Wentz and the Eagles needed, but Ray, when you look back at this game, who gets more blame for what happened yesterday, Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz?
1: Um, that's a question a lot of people are asking. I, I, I can't, break the tie. <laughs> I mean, I, I I, <laughs> I, 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 put it pretty much equally on both of them. Um, I, I thought that, I, I really thought things began going sideways, uh, with the first interception. Uh, the Eagles are up 17, nothing. It's late in the first half. Washington has, has shown you no ability to score or move the football. Honestly, to me, at that point, it looked like 17 points was enough to win the game. You know, why you felt in that possession. Uh, in that position, you wanted to come out and start throwing the ball again. To add to that lead right before halftime, to me, was just foolhardy. I know Doug talks about being aggressive and keeping your foot on the gas and all that kind of thing, but, you know, you coach to the opponent and you coach to the situation, and that was a game you had in hand. Why risk turning the ball over in that situation and giving the other team a short field, a chance to get back into a game that they haven't been in all day? Uh, it was just, It was just needless to me. Uh, and that interception really did change the game. So that's, that's, on, that's on the coach making that decision. Then you look at the guy who threw the ball. And uh, from that point on, Wentz was never the same player. It's, it's, you look back at this game, and for a quarter and a half, Wentz looked as good as he's ever looked. I mean, he was totally in command of that game. The deep ball to Rager was a beautiful throw. The throw, to, uh, the throw to Goddard was a great throw. I mean, he was in complete control. The team's moving up and down the field score on three of their first four possessions, Wentz looks tremendous. And then from that point on, it was a total struggle. And, you know, the thing, the thing is that what's surprising is when you knew before the game, when you heard before the game, that Lane Johnson was going to be out. I mean, there was genuine concern. Heck, I was concerned. Everybody was concerned. Because you knew you had a, I mean, you really had a makeshift line kind of to begin with. And then you had no depth behind it. And now you lose Lane Johnson, and oh, boy. But up seventeen nothing, moving the ball, you figure, okay, well, they'll get through this. You know, it's, uh, that, that turned out to be not as big a deal as we thought. But once it became a game, and once Washington really dialed up the blitzes and they got real aggressive on defense, they really exposed how weak that offensive line was. And then the whole the whole roof just caved in on the quarterback.
0: The the interceptions, uh, the two of them, the, the one that you mentioned, which I agree with you, was the turning point of the game. And I think the other one, he was trying to get it to uh Hightower if Hightower. I'm correct and right John Hightower and um those interceptions were they more on Carson or were they more on the rookie wide receivers and just their inexperience to try to come back to the ball and try to just break up break up that play if they can't get it
1: yeah I think that was part of it I think I think the the, the, the rookie receivers bear part of the responsibility um on the on the Rager one the first one that was the real game turner um it you know Rager runs what what I would, what I would call a very lazy route. It's 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 meant to be a square out and he has to run it fast, and he has to run it hard and he has to make that break sharp. Uh and he just ran it in a lazy fashion. He sort of rounded it off and you could see that Moreau who's the cornerback sees it all the way. He knows exactly what it is and he just puts himself in position that he's ready to jump it and once once went through the ball. I mean, he had a better shot at it than Rager did um so you could you could fault the quarterback for maybe making that just making a bad decision to throw it but rager has to learn to run a more aggressive route there and hightower the same thing same kind of thing he's coming he's he's soft he's going soft to the football and let the defender come in and take it away i thought that if you look at both throws um Normally, Wentz throws that ball with a lot of authority, a lot of zip. Those kind of routes have to be thrown on time, where the quarterback throws it and anticipates the ball's in the air before the guy even makes the break. And that's the kind of thing you only develop. That's the kind of thing you only develop on the practice field with timing and they just haven't had the chance. They haven't had much of a preseason. They didn't play any preseason games. You're talking about two rookie receivers. I don't think at this point that Wentz has that kind of timing or that kind of familiarity with those guys. He hasn't had enough time to develop it. So if you look at those two throws, they aren't the kinds of throws that Wentz normally makes in that situation. Normally he throws it hard, and he throws it with a lot of authority. You look at those two throws, and he just kind of of floated them out there because he's just trying to kind of guess where those guys are going to be. And you throw floater balls in the NFL, very often they're going to get intercepted. So uh, 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 statistically, when you look at the stat sheet, they go into Wentz's column. And ultimately, they probably have to because he's the guy who threw the ball. But I'll tell you, on both of those situations, I thought that the rookie receivers could have run better routes.
0: And then on the sacks, the the eight sacks, a lot of people have um, five of them going to Wentz, being a that Wentz held the ball too long. How many of the eight sacks were Carson's fault?
1: I would say four. I think I think five is probably a little too much. I, th- I think four. But in a lot of situations, I just thought that the play call was not very good. I mean, there there were a lot of situations there where I think they were just unnecessarily slower developing patterns. And um, I, I think when it became obvious in the second half, when when Washington really got control of the line of scrimmage. And uh, and Del Rio, who I thought did a terrific job coaching the Washington defense, began to see what the Eagles were, ha- had on the offensive line, or maybe more specifically didn't have on the offensive line. Um, and he began picking his spots with some of these uh, sort of delayed blitzes and these A-gap blitzes. Um, uh, I thought that at that point the Eagles coaches should have modified their offense a little bit and just said, listen, we can't go for the deep routes. We can't have Wentz holding the ball. We've got to design plays. Because we know Wentz's propensity is that he's going to hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, try and make the bigger play. We kind of have to take that decision away from him. And with the plays that we have to call, it have to be really quick throws, quick routes, quick outs, quick slants. Plays that are designed specifically to do that, to get the ball out of his hands right now. If you If you make it a decision thing, where he's going to get the ball he's going to look around he's going to take a long time in doing it you don't have that time at least you didn't have it yesterday so that's why i thought that the that once washington really got aggressive with the blitz the only way to counter it was with a lot of with a lot of quick timing throws and i didn't think the coaches went to that nearly enough
0: the offensive line Whenever Lane returns, and hopefully for the Eagles' sake, it's next week. Whenever Lane returns, is obviously going to be better because he's one of the best tackles in the sport. But i got to be honest with you, Ray. I thought Jason Peters struggled yesterday against the Washington defensive line. What did you think?
1: Same. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. Um, he looked 38 years old. You know, I mean, that's... Uh, and, and it became... Uh, and, and listen, in a lot of those situations, he was matched up against Chase Young. Who's, you know, the, the Washington's first round draft pick, number two overall pick in the draft. Most people, including me, would say would tell you that he was, I think, the best player in the draft. Uh, and and he looked it. I mean, he looked it. And and it was a tough matchup for Jason. I mean, there was, um, the the kid came off the line and then beat him with uh, with speed on a couple of occasions, which wasn't surprising to me. Yeah, you're talking about a player who didn't really have much of an off season, uh, who came in and was spent the first part of whatever training camp you did have working at right guard. Now you flip him over to left tackle, he hadn't had a full week to work there. Now I know, look, Jason Peters has played left tackle forever. He knows how to do it. But you still need to prepare. You still need to prepare to go out and play. This is the National Football League. Uh, and I think the combination of not having a whole lot of time to get ready and being a 38-year-old man matched up against a real stud of a defensive lineman You're going to lose those battles sometimes, and Jason lost his share yesterday.
0: Well, maybe it could have helped considering everything that was going on—the the pressure, the interceptions, the, the the inexperienced offensive line, Jason Peters against Chase Young. Maybe it could have helped Ray if Doug would have had a little more balance between run and pass. I think it was forty-two to seventeen. Um, and afterwards, and I know you guys talked about this on the post-game show, and it stood out to me immediately as well. And I want to and I want to get the exact wording of this. Doug said, "Quote: I don't necessarily in game know if we're throwing." Or running. I just know that we're going to execute the play called and do our best to try to score. Uh, what do you think Doug meant by that?
1: Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it sounded so bad. It, it, it sounded, it really, it, it, to the to most fans who are listening, and, and even to some degree to me, it, it makes it sound like he doesn't, it, it makes it sound like he's admitting he doesn't know what he's doing from play to play. Uh, which is which is, alarm, which is alarming. Now I, I I don't think that's really true. Uh, I kind of get the gist of what he was trying to say. Uh, I think I think okay. I think what he was trying to say is I'm I'm not you know I'm not counting from down to down. What how many runs we have? How many passes we have? I'm not doing the math. I'm just calling the, pl- the play in the situation that I think is the best play to run in this down and distance situation. Uh, I think that's what he's trying to say. I'm not worried. I'm not worried exactly where we are. We have so many runs, so many passes. I'm not. I'm not counting that. I'm not calculating that. I'm just calling what I think is the best play in that spot. I think that's what he was saying. Uh, but it's, 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 it's. It would have sounded bad any time, but it sounded particularly bad coming off this kind of a game. But it's. Um, there is an. El- there is a grain of truth in that. Uh, in in that it's. He, what he's really talking about is a difference between. Uh, is it. Is a matter of just philosophy. Uh, and this goes back to the Andy Reid days. I mean, we had we had similar kinds of questions after some games when Andy was coaching here, because he is he, he is a guy that runs a specific kind of offense, and they do love to throw 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 the ball, uh, and that's what they're going to do because that's what they want to do. Uh, and sometimes it just gets out of whack, and a lot of times the quarterbacking has been good enough, and the team's been good enough that they're able to win anyway. Um, but sometimes you get in a game like yesterday where the situation kind of demands something different, but philosophically, you'll always go back to what, you know, what you're built to do, which is throw the football. And sometimes you wind up the two, the two wind up in a, in a head on collision and you lose the game. And that's kind of what it was. But that's what Doug was saying. I, I, my, my counter to that would be, look. Nobody's saying that you have to keep track of exactly how many runs and passes. Nobody's. You, I know in the course of a game, you only have thirty seconds to call a play. You can't be worried about necessarily "quote unquote" run-pass ratio. But you have eighty-five assistant coaches that are all standing that are all standing around you on the sidelines, or they're upstairs, and you have twenty-eight guys from the analytics department that are all upstairs, and they can, they can damn well sure be keeping track of these things. You know, it wouldn't hurt to have somebody be able to, in a position to tap you on the shoulder and say hey Doug you know right now we've thrown the ball on 18 straight plays you might want to think about running that kind of communication is necessary and i think it's healthy certainly it would be healthier for the quarterback
0: yeah, Well said. Ray, last one I have for you, um, and you, and I, you, this is another thing you guys discussed yesterday. NFL Network Ian Rappaport had a report that Zach Ertz and Howie Roseman at some point last week, whether it was before or after Ertz's press conference, got in a heated discussion, and it was witnessed by uh, several players. Um, that's not good.
1: No, it's not good. Um, and, and I think um, my guess is it probably happened before... Zach had his media availability because there was, if you, if you just saw, if anybody who saw it and you saw the look on Zach's face and you heard the, the tone of his voice, um, something was bothering him. Uh, I mean, it was, that was not the typical Zach Ertz. I mean, Zach Ertz is a, is a competitor to the core, uh, and he's a guy who is fiercely loyal to this team. I mean, he's a guy that uh, in, the playoff, in, in the playoff game last year played with a, a lacerated spleen which most doctors would tell you is not a good idea. I mean, Zach Ertz laid it on the line for this team. Uh, and what you, saw in his, what you saw in his press conference last week was a guy who was, who was genuinely puzzled and genuinely hurt. Uh, so I think that this, this argument back and forth between he and Howie that Ian Rappaport reported, um, I, I think happened right before that because obviously there was something bothering Ertz when he came out and said that. It was rather unprompted, and it was he made no he made no attempt to conceal how he felt that he was genuinely thinking that, yeah I want to stay here, but I'm not so sure they want me here long term. Um, does that factor into what happened? I think when you take that, which surprised a lot of people to hear him say that in the tone of voice that he said it, and then you follow that up with a game like yesterday, where the team plays miserably and loses to what I still think is a bad opponent. Uh and then late in the game, when you have a chance to come back and maybe win it, um, that Zach Ertz come, doesn't come up, doesn't make a catch that ninety nine times out of hundred he would make, then you know, then it becomes yet another another part of the subplot of this of this awful week one game, is that, oh my God, how much did that have to do with it? it was his head not in the game? Is this the way it's gonna be all year? Um, is this just gonna take a bad situation to make it worse? Uh, it's just going to continue a discussion that doesn't help anybody. So, yeah, I felt, I, you know, I, f- I feel bad for the guy because I know what he's trying to do here. Uh, I think he's 100% sincere when he talks about, I want to be an Eagle, for the- I want to finish my career here. I think he really does want to do that. Uh, over the course of the season, he's going to probably, in all probability, become the team's all time leading receiver. He's probably going to pass Harold Carmichael in catches. Uh, and I think in every way, he's earned the right to finish his career as an Eagle but ultimately this is a this is a business and teams have to make business decisions uh, but I would hate to think that one of those business decisions is parting with Zach Ertz because I feel this team needs him and I really do think that this is where he wants to finish his career if he has to move on and go elsewhere just because you're up against the salary cap I think that would be a huge loss for for the for the team and really for the city
0: Yeah, Ray, I agree with you. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Zach Ertz's contract situation. Ray, thank you for the time as always. On Friday, we're going to preview Eagles-Rams. Have a wonderful week. We'll
2: chat Friday morning.
1: All right, David. I will talk to you then. See ya.
0: Hall of Famer Ray Dittinger of WIP and NBC Sports, Philadelphia.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?